2: Greetings Buff fans from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Well, another week, another lopsided loss. I am joined for this podcast by Brad Geiger and Neil Langland and we will give you a recap of the USC game, a 55 to 17 final including a discussion of how the Buffs managed to have the lead after the first quarter, and the sportsmanship, or gamesmanship, involved in the USC's final score coming with 36 seconds remaining in the game. But, before we dive into the postmortem of the USC game, we will discuss ESPN Game Day. Now, it's been a quarter of a century since C was involved in a Game Day visit, but Stuart and Brad... We'll be taking in the ESPN pregame program this weekend, nonetheless, as ESPN will be broadcasting from the site of the Brawl of the Wild, the rivalry game between Montana State and Montana, coming to the world Saturday morning from Bozeman, Montana. It will be cold, but the University of Colorado will be represented in the early morning crowd. We will also, of course, bring you our tips for the upcoming matchup against number 15 Washington, and CU's chances as a 31-point underdog. So, can you name how many times CU and Boulder have hosted ESPN Game Day? Can you name the last time CU played a game, albeit on the road, before the Game Day crew? Do you know that the Buffs, fresh off of facing Bo Nix and Caleb Williams, will now be facing the nation's number one passer in Michael Penix? Is there one chance in a thousand that the CU game will be a trap game for the Huskies coming off of a rivalry win over Oregon and a week before the Apple Cup rivalry game against Washington State? Let's find out. Okay, and we're back. And we're with the soon to be birthday boy, Brad Geiger in Highlands Ranch. Brad, how are you doing? Doing well.
0: Trying to avoid that big zero birthday coming up soon, but uh, otherwise, getting by. It's uh, a little more, little more winterish here in Colorado today.
2: So, Oh, is it winterish in downtown Denver, Neil Langland? How are you doing?
1: Well, it is frigid, and we've got some wind going down here. It's not what you would call a pleasant evening, a little humid. And again, the pallor of a Broncos and CU loss have settled over the city, and down here is no exception.
2: Okay, well, cuts down on the DUIs, you know, if everybody's (laughs) hunkered down and, you know, drinking at home rather than out celebrating. So I guess there's some positives to every loss. Before we start talking about losses, we're going to talk about something positive for a change. The University of Colorado has, you guys know this, how many times has ESPN Game Day been in Boulder? I know of one. I would have stopped at one. Three times. Wow. ESPN Game Day was in Boulder twice in 1995 when CU played number seven, CU beat Texas A&M, number three, Texas A&M, 29-21, later that year nebraska number 2 beat colorado number 7 44-21 and then the following year 1996 number 11 michigan came to town and beat the buffs 20 to 13 a number 5 buffs at the time so three times colorado has hosted game day there was another game day that sue was involved in when sue made a return trip to Ann Arbor on oh. September 13th, 1997. And Good Brad, night. what 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 happened on September 13th, 1997, per chance, other than see you getting beat 27 to 3? <laughs> Which we uh, had some trouble watching because you were being in my wedding that day. Yeah, 25 years ago. Some back in the day. So yes. the reason we talk about... University of Colorado and ESPN Game Day is that Brad and I will be actually attending ESPN Game Day that is coming to Bozeman, Montana, home of the Montana State University Bobcats for the first ever Big Sky Conference team hosting an ESPN Game Day. So, Brad, you, you said you were going to pack some CU gear. What should people look for when they're tuning in at 7 o'clock on Saturday morning mountain time when it's going to be pitch dark and a uh, half an hour away from sunrise here in Bozeman. Well, I will be wearing the outfit that
0: was purchased for the infamous CU Nebraska game that kicked off at six below and got colder. I will be in my <laughs> CU field coat our stadium jacket, uh, the Swedish military wool pants that I bought at the Army Navy store and probably a CU stocking cap While I attempt to stay warm, my tolerance has gotten less as my bones have gotten older.
2: (laughs) Well, we will deal with it. It's going to be around zero, maybe as high as five degrees above before we start dealing with wind chill. When the uh, 7 a.m. rolls around on Saturday morning and by 10 a.m., those that are still there or get there late uh, for the noon kickoff, Probably a bunch of people will stop by and they will be well lubricated because this is the uh, the Brawl of the Wild, which is oh, wow. actually a cleverly named title for the 121st anniversary or the 121st game between the Bobcats and the Grizzlies. Um, as nice as the rivalry name is, the trophy leaves something to be desired. Um, it is not an old oaken bucket. You know, it is not something It is not a bronze boot. It is a bronze trophy it is so large. It takes two offensive linemen to carry it around after the game. So whichever team wins needs to have some 300 pounders just to move the thing around the stadium. Supposedly it's like a, a bronze mountain with on one side, a Bobcat is climbing to the top of the mountain. On the other side, a Grizzly is climbing to the top of the mountain, which, sounds really good in theory but as a practical matter if you look at it from a distance it looks like a big pile of manure but it's not one of the prettier trophies in the rivalry world but if you want to anyone out there wants to google brawl of the wild trophy you can take a look at it for yourself and decide whether or not it's something worth fighting for but it is of as most in-state rivalries go very bitter and has playoff implications msu is ranked third in the latest fcs poll montana's ranked 12th in their latest wow. fcs poll so uh two very good teams two teams that are going to make the playoffs the fcs in case you didn't know has 20 teams that qualify for the playoffs the top teams get a bye so it's important for the grizzlies to try and win this game to get a bye week and of course the bobcats Want to hold on to their position so they can have home field advantage in the playoffs all the way up to the championship game, which they made last year. They finished second runner-up last year. They made it all the way to the championship game and lost to perennial power North Dakota State. So it's going to be a big game. It's going to be well beyond the sellout. Bobcat Stadium holds about seven. What's that? Standing room only tickets are being sold. Well, they were. They're not anymore. Um, there's seventeen thousand seat stadium and last week's game or the last game they played, they were on the road last week, but the last game they had played at home had twenty thousand people. So that was for Weber State. So you can imagine what it's gonna be like when the Grizzlies get to down. So they're gonna be a lot of blue and gold, a lot of copper and silver or whatever it is the grizzlies are, don't care about them. But root for the blue and gold this Saturday and look for Brad and I and several other CU fans who will be attending ESPN game day. Well, um, along with the, you know, of course, the Washington State flag, which is always at ESPN game day. And this is probably, maybe Seattle's closer to Pullman, but it's probably one of the shorter migrations the Washington State flag has ever had to make, because it's right on the eastern border between Washington and Idaho, so it's not all that far away, maybe five or six hours to get to Pullman from here. But ESPN Game Day is coming to Bozeman, and Brad and I, along with a couple other CU fans, will be attending on behalf of the University of Colorado, something to look forward to, which is something more than we have to look forward to Saturday night when the Buffs play Washington. So, before we get to that, we have to reverse and talk about the Buffs playing number eight USC 55 to 17, with USC scoring a touchdown with 36 seconds to play to push them over the bread <laughs> of 34 points. Neil, let's start with you since I didn't get a chance to, to talk very much, since Brad and I are going to be hogging the spotlight this week. What uh, were your reactions to the USC Trojans taking on the hapless CU Buffs?
1: A short digression. I'm going to be watching game day, and I hope to see Brad standing on your shoulders, both of you just behind the stage. So, Yeah,
2: yeah, right next to the ambulance that we'll be getting on (laughs) to.
1: And your description of everything that's going on this week, there for this game. That is absolutely what college football should be about. And I'm envious because it's been so long, I think, since we've had anything like that here. And it looks like it's going to be a, a while before it happens again. So that said, the first thing that comes to mind is, in a positive way, I think The players and the coaching staff deserve praise for the effort and the ethics and all of the good things about heart and courage and dedication that went into that game and that game plan. Uh, They had some clever defensive things that they showed off in the first quarter, had USC totally off balance, but eventually CU's, excuse me, CU's lack of talent and USC's Coaching acumen was able to kick in to where they scored 55 points in three quarters or 52 in three quarters. I can't remember. She was just outmanned, not in a a sense of masculinity or toughness, but just pure talent. You know, one can get by on adrenaline and effort only for so long before um, superior talent and, and scheme just takes over i see you fought to the end and i commend them all for that but it was another hard game to watch because see you just simply cannot compete and uh, i'm not sure that looking forward to our next two games it's going to be any different you know i feel like i'm waking up to sonny and Cher singing i got you babe <laughs> um, it's going to be more of the same here i'm afraid
2: Okay, with the uh, any any Bill Murray movie reference is good. So, Groundhog Day references are acceptable on this podcast. Brad, first quarter, three to two buffs, buffs taking their first lead in a month since the end of the Cal game was the first, last time the Colorado actually held a lead in a game. Mm-hmm. USC had eight total yards of offense in the first quarter and ended up with 531, which translates to 523 yards of total offense in three quarters. So what was so great about the first quarter that the Buffs, other than just being outmanned and out-talented and perhaps you know, out-schemed the rest of the game, what can you say about the Buffs' effort where 55-17?
0: Well, I mean, I, I texted you at the end of the first quarter. It was the best quarter of the season. The offense didn't play well, but it played better. Um, we were able to keep the defense a little bit off the field. The defense played, uh, particularly up front, with a great deal of energy and enthusiasm and were able to make some plays on the line of scrimmage, which they've been doing better the last couple of weeks. And so the, the small improvements that we've been seeing really came to the fore in that first quarter. But it was also clear that USC was not as up for the game as we were perhaps a night game, perhaps certainly looking past us, but you could very much see, particularly up front, uh, the USC offensive line starts to take control. And then Caleb Williams is just an excellent quarterback. And things he had missed in the first quarter, he didn't miss in the second quarter. And I don't think he missed anything in the third quarter. Um, (laughs) You couple that with You know, turnovers and poor decisions yet again by J.T. Schrout, who, I mean, we now know who he is. He's a player who is going to make the occasional pretty impressive play, but is going to match it often with thoughtless plays. And you can't continue to do that. It just doesn't work. The offensive line played better for a while. I mean, we talked about the fact that USC wasn't a great defense. And, you know, we were able to find some holes and some space. But, again, the turnovers, the mistakes, and then particularly in the second third quarter, the the terrible tackling just became too much to overcome.
2: Okay. Well, Neil, you uh, sent Brad and I a very eloquent, detailed discussion as to J.T. Shrout and particularly the interception that he threw. Would you like to expand on that a little bit as far as what you saw and what you didn't see from J.T. Shrout against USC?
1: yeah it's hard to watch and it was hard to write that and actually hard to realize that jt shroud probably is not the answer and i think we've been suspecting that all along and it just became clear that as brad said um he can throw an amazing pass make an amazing play but then we'll offset that with something like the an accurate pass to an open receiver that would have resulted in a touchdown. Yeah, the
2: Brady-Russell pass.
1: Well, and it was a short pass, and it was a couple of yards off the mark. Uh, I I was just amazed at that. And those are inexplicable, and I don't want to pound on the young man, but his decision-making is not good. There was a play, I think, uh, the interception that he threw in the third quarter where he tried to throw a touch pass and listened to Brad about trying to put a little air under the ball and make it more catchable. But our receiver wasn't on the same page and wasn't Mm -hmm. fast enough to beat the safety over to catch the ball. USC had that play perfectly defensed and a more experienced quarterback would not have thrown that ball, would have eaten it or would have run for what he could get. So there are Errors in execution, actual mechanics of throwing. There are errors in judgment where a more experienced uh, quarterback would not dare throw that ball. And the inconsistency is not improving. It's staying about where it is. And I am I just don't know what to say about that is that he may have reached the ceiling in this offense and with his coaching staff. You know, another part of that, I think, is that Shroud or CU's quarterbacks in general don't see the kind of speed in practice that they face in games. And therefore, they are encouraged to make throws um, by success against their own scout team that are bad plays against uh, a Pac-12 mm-hmm. five off, uh, defense, excuse me. So... That said, uh, I'm I'm afraid that CU's quarterback situation is totally in flux now. And we're going to get through these last two games. But what happens with our quarterbacks uh, in the offseason through the transfer portal, recruiting and so on, we're a team without a quarterback at this point. I'm sad to say that.
2: Well, Brad, let me build on that. I mean, John Canzano... He used to work for the Oregonian. Now he's off being an independent guy. He did an article about Oregon State and them jumping into the NIL world with, they're going to call it the damn nation. And it's funded partially by one of the co-founders of Nike. So there's going to have plenty of money. And also talked about how Washington State, you know, spent $80,000 getting their quarterback with NIL money. Is CU obviously a good coach? and the coaching change is to be determined, but a good coach and a paid NIL quarterback away from respectability. Obviously, more help is going to be needed. You can't lose the, what talent CU does have, but mm-hmm. it seems like, you know, Canzano noted that nine of the 12 quarterbacks in the Pac-12 that are starting right now are transfers. Right. And, you know, Michael Penix, who we're going to talk about at Washington was quarterback at in Indiana. Bo Nix was at Auburn. Caleb Williams was at Oklahoma. So we got three quarterbacks for ranked teams that SUU is playing back to back to back that were recruited by other places. So is CU a quality recruiter at head coach that can bring in a paid, and I'll put that in quotes, but a paid transfer quarterback away from respectability?
0: No but it it is a necessary, but not sufficient condition for coming back <laughs> without more talent up front you know it, in a perfect world, you'd go out and buy a pair of you know an experienced quarterback and somebody to play in front of him. I'm beginning to think there might be enough talent on this defense to play you know some people will, and if we can keep them, there might be some hope there, although a little bit more depth would of course help, but uh, if, and you know, there are a couple receivers who can probably play on this roster if we can keep them, but we've got to get bigger, both up front on both sides, but without a, you know, without a another quarterback that can actually play in this conference, it's not anywhere close. So we've got to hope that some FCS quarterback decides to upgrade um, or somebody backing up a player uh, backing up in the sec or somewhere else decides that this is the place to go. I mean, that's what we hoped we got with Shroud and it didn't work, but I agree. He's reached his ceiling. Uh, I don't know that a quarterback whisperer is going to be able to change it. The game's too fast for him.
2: Yeah. Well, let me throw the, this out to the two of you before we move on to the Washington game. It. Really stuck in my craw, maybe it was the fact that it was 11.30 mountain time when this was all unfolding, that USC took the ball with like six, seven minutes left, just drove down the field, had the ball, threw a pass with less than a minute to go to get down to the three-yard line, and then with 36 seconds to play, scored a touchdown. And the announcers were talking throughout the game about style points, the fact that the game ended at 1.30 a.m., Eastern time. Obviously, nobody was watching the game, but somehow USC felt that 48-17 to win over Colorado didn't look impressive enough that they felt compelled to go for a touchdown. Now that, I don't know, just really bugged me, and that wasn't because I had money on the game. and So I wasn't betting on it, so that wasn't my justification for being pissed. It was just the whole idea that the University of Colorado was so bad that uh, you know, seeing a scroll on Saturday throughout the throughout the day that USC won 48 to 17 was not impressive enough. Am I just, it, you know, splitting hairs, it really doesn't matter? Or is it really that CU's gotten that bad that you have to score over, you know, 50 and have to win by more than 35 just to uh, show that you won by a dominating fashion?
0: I think they would have done that against anybody. If they had the chance Um, they knew that Oregon was playing the next day. They expected Oregon to beat Washington. They probably expected UCLA to beat Arizona. Arizona. Yeah. So, you know, they knew they were in a th- they thought they were going to be in a three-way race for the pack for the pac 12 and, you know, need that win. So I think they would have run it up against anybody if they could. I don't think there is that. I think the days of showing some mercy for your defeated opponent are gone. If anybody's, if you're ranked in the top 15, so no, I mean it was frustrating, it, 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 and they certainly, you know, it, none of us would have cried if uh, if somebody had gotten hurt. You know, they'd already lost their best running back,
2: right? Travis the season hurt, yeah.
0: And so I think probably they, their coach was thinking, we've got to make this look good again because they thought there were going to be two other one lost teams in the conference.
2: Yeah. Well, Neil. You know, they were already ranked eighth in the country. They had games against UCLA, Notre Dame, and presumably Oregon coming up. So they had more than enough opportunities to impress the college football playoff selection committee coming up in the next three games against ranked teams. Am I just, you know, crying in my beer here? Or is this uh, something that we can hate USC for for an indefinite period of time as they go to the Big Ten?
1: I guess I would agree with both of you that the national people have no respect for CU and anything less than 60 implies that the winning team struggled. So they've got to pump that up. I understand the incentives. Brad's right about that. The fact that it was so easy and the points were all scored in three quarters, no one's going to grasp that subtlety. I watched the fourth quarter on Saturday morning, because I just couldn't take it any longer on Friday night. And what you said torqued me. And it seems that there is no sportsmanship or class any longer here because college football has become such a business. But what got me and. I was (laughs) I was actually watching in the third quarter was that. um Extra point,
2: yeah, where went for it two. went for two, yeah, yeah. fake, fake totally
1: points. unnecessary, totally gratuitous. And then the holder does a backflip in the end zone. I mean, how, how much harder can you rub it in than that? Yeah. that? That really was tasteless and classless, in my opinion. And as a result, I'm torn even more than I usually am about whether it's root for USC as it may help the conference, or just seeing them go down in flames. Um, and I'm tending toward the latter right now.
2: Yeah. Well, one way to rub it in a little bit more is to have your former opposition catch a touchdown pass as Brandon Rice did. You know, you knew that he was going to be targeted in that game so he could score against his former team. So thank you, USC, as if anybody really cheered for USC in Boulder anyway, but Just made it a lot easier for them to, you know, for us to say good riddance and have a nice life in the Big Ten, you know, finishing eight and four every year. But it is what it is. Colorado's record is what it is. And now instead of playing what could have been the only unranked team on the schedule in November, now is the number 15 team in the country in the Washington Huskies because they did, as Brad alluded to, upset Oregon in Eugene – Moving from number 25 in the country up to number 15 in the country, and have been installed as 31. point favorites against the Buffs. I'll talk a little bit about again. We do talent, intangibles, preparation, and statistics. And talent-wise, I didn't know this. I had, you know I was surprised to find out that you talk about the quarterbacks who's played Bo Nicks two weeks ago and Caleb Williams last week. Both are in the top 16 in the country in passing yards. The number one quarterback in the country in passing yards is Michael Penix Jr. of wait for it, the university of Washington. Their passing game is (laughs) well, Penix is throwing for 364 yards a game while Colorado is averaging 298 yards in total offense. And Make the numbers even more odd. that Their top three receivers, um, I'm not going to try them. Jalen McMillan's one name I can actually pronounce. But the top three receivers have a total of, what, it uh, looks like 17 touchdowns, 6, 6, and 5. Colorado as a team for the year has 17 touchdowns. And rushing, they've got their top two rushers have – Top rusher has seven touchdowns. The second the backup running back has 11 touchdowns. So they have top two rushers of 18 touchdowns. Colorado, again, has 17 total for the team for the year. I mean, just the numbers that, you know, these are going to be historically bad. We'll just have to go back here after the Utah game and see if there are any 1980 numbers or 1984 numbers or 2006 numbers or 2012 numbers that are any worse than what C's putting up this year. But as a team, Colorado has 17 touchdowns. The opposition is 54 through 10 games. So doing the easy math, that's 1.7 touchdowns for Colorado and 5.4. So in other words, you know, they're averaging, well, they're averaging 42 points a game. Off. Colorado's averaging 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neil, I'll start, start with you in terms of, Washington and their offense, it looks like it's going to be another long day for the long evening for the Colorado defense. Fair statement.
1: A fair understatement. I'm afraid. (laughs) uh, Is I watched a portion uh, of the Oregon Washington game and was frightened really by the talent on both sides, but I thought Washington, Washington was, their talent was at least equivalent to what Oregon was putting on the field in certain, in many spots. It's hard to pick between a more talented, which is the more talented team between UW uh, and Oregon. So whatever talent advantage Oregon had with uh, CU, Washington's is at least that great. And their quarterback when I was watching, made some absolutely fabulous throws. NFL qualities, arm NFL quality touch. Uh, He's going to take the team a long way, and they're actually fun to watch. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see uh, how their receivers match up against our secondary. I'm not sure we're going to be able to pressure this quarterback the way we were able to uh, pressure the USC QB. But the line talent for UW, at least on offense, is excellent. Uh, Their line talent on defense, uh, um, maybe not so much. Uh, Just looking, not getting too far ahead with stats, but just comparing uh, offensive ranking for the best Pac-12 teams with their defensive rankings. (laughs) It seems like our best teams just don't play much defense. Mm -hmm. And so – I'm thinking CU probably will score some points, 10, maybe 17, somewhere in there. And Washington can probably score whatever it wants.
2: Yeah. Well, Brad, any you want to beat up on the buffs comparing the Washington offense to the CU defense? Or are you going with Neil's premise that, again, the Washington defense, whether it's because they already have scored a bunch of points, but their defensive numbers are not super impressive? Talk about the the great offense or the mediocre defense for the Washington Huskies.
0: I'm struck by it kind of feels like the Pac-12 this year is the Big 12, particularly the last couple of years. The Big 12 is known for high-powered offenses, and what are you talking about, defenses? And for all the talent that is on Pac-12 offenses, and Washington's got it, I mean, they can throw the ball at will against almost anyone, and they did against Oregon.
2: And Kristen Gonzalez.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and they uh so they're they're gonna come out, they're gonna throw the ball, and they're gonna be able to throw the ball essentially probably as much as they wish. Um they've got it, as Neil said. So it it, it just this is the this is how the Pac 12 is right now. It's a bunch of good offenses. Um when they play a not good offense, they just outscore them. That's the way it's gonna work. And that's what Washington did to Oregon. That's how this is going to work with the top teams. And so, yeah, CU defense, I suspect, like they have against, I mean, two weeks ago, was looking at these stats. Two weeks ago, we lost to the number four scoring offense in the country in Oregon. Last week, we lost to the number three scoring offense in the country in Southern Cal. And this week, we get a break by playing the number 13 scoring offense in the country. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I may be skipping ahead to stats. Oh, and by the way, the week after that, the twelfth highest scoring offense in Utah. Uh, <laughs> it's not that we're playing bad teams. And oh, by the way, TCU's at number eight. I mean,
2: no, <laughs> well, and throw you know, UCLA the, in the, there. Yeah, that you know, half yeah, a dozen teams in the top twenty in the country.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just who we're facing. And for us to be down, I mean, there are. Some good players on our defense, some people who can make the occasional play. I think Nico Reed could play with anybody in this league. But we do not have the bottom line is Oregon didn't have the horses to keep up with Washington. Yeah. And we we don't have anything like that. So it's this is just how it's gonna be. It's gonna be a track me. You know, I yeah. keep hoping we're gonna run into a blizzard game where we
2: could slow down the, slow somebody down. Yeah. Well, a track me where we're running a three legged race, you know. Yeah, it's just it's uh, going to be pretty scoring early and often. So, Neil just, you know, kind of combining intangibles and preparation, the fact that this is kind of a – if C was any good, I mean, even within shouting distance of mediocre, this would be the classic trap game for Washington, coming off their, their biggest rival, Oregon. And then, of course, the Apple Cup is the following week against Washington State. Those two games are on the road. This one's at home. 31 point favorite, coming off the high of beating Oregon for the first time since 2017. They're still in the race for the, you know, the Pac 12 championship, but you know, it's going to be senior night. Any chance that Colorado can catch Washington just looking past and keep it competitive? Is that even a, a faint hope at this point? We're not even talking anymore about CU winning any football games. It's just a question of how bad they're going to be embarrassed. Is it possible that Washington is just going to say, okay, we got past Oregon. Everybody partied for three days. And then we're going to start worrying about Washington State on the road. Um, we'll just coast to, a, you know, 35 to 14 win over Colorado and call it good. I think
1: Brad raised a good point earlier talking about USC. In the first quarter, um, I also felt that SC was sleepwalking a little bit, not really into it. in that first quarter, I can see how Washington would feel the same way. You know, their um, emotional tank is pretty much empty and it may take them a while. They may have to get a jump start, but I would say by mid second quarter at the latest, they'll be cruising and. Um, CU, their preparation, I'm sure they're going to have some tricks up their sleeve as they did last week for USC. They're going to come out and be highly motivated because it's getting close to the end of a lot of careers and then everyone wants to go out, leaving it all on the field while a lot of CU players want to put some good tape out there, whether it's for the NFL or some other school. So there's, there's motivation and intangibles that CU can draw upon, but in in terms of trying to prepare for someone that has the talent and the scheme and the coaching that Washington has, uh, I don't think there's much they can do in terms of scheme to make up for that. So I, uh, sadly there's not much I can say that's going to keep CU in the game, even up through halftime.
2: Yeah. well, you know, any preparation, I think, in advantage of the fact that, you know, CU did play on a Friday night. So theoretically, has an extra day to prepare for this game, I think is more than offset by the fact that this was the fifth longest, the USC game was the fifth longest in CU history in terms of actual clock time. It didn't get done for almost four hours, which is pretty inexcusable for considering the score and the way things were going. I don't know, you know, what they were thinking of, but. And then, of course, they have to get on a plane, and they usually get back between like 3 and 4 a.m. on Sunday, or in this case, Saturday morning, after a road game on the West Coast. And, you know, anybody that's traveled like that, anybody that's gotten in, you know, well after midnight for a delayed flight or whatever it is, knows what that, how enjoyable that is. And, of course, then the Pac-12 says, okay, you're playing back-to-back road games, you get to do that all again. So when they're kicking off at 6 p.m. local time, you're already thinking about that flight home and getting back to your dorm room or getting back to your apartment at, you know, three or four on uh, Sunday morning. And, oh, by the way, all the students will be gone because it'll be Thanksgiving week. So, yeah, not not a whole lot going on there. Anything, Brad, you think that uh, getting that extra day of preparation, you know, getting to watch Washington play Oregon, and you know, just sit back and eat pizza and watch the game, and prepare while and rest up a little bit while Washington was laying it all on the line. That can help see you at all. No. Okay.
0: What's (laughs) going to help more is that you know every Washington player was out enjoying the hell out of himself Saturday night, Um, whereas I would like to think our guys got to bed and perhaps slept if they weren't thinking too much about the game so yeah i mean it, you like being at home you like that they have to travel you like that they're in between two games that they care more about all of those things again would matter if cu was you know within 40 percent of the talent level
2: yeah well neil any any stats that i mean every you know colorado as i was mentioning i mean we're in the Bottom 10 in the country in almost every major statistical category on offense and on defense, which is really a hard double to pull off. You know, there's a lot of times like with Northwestern, would have an atrocious offense, but would be in the top 15 in the country in defense, and that would keep them in games, you know, that type of thing. Or, you know, Army or Air Force would be number one or number two in rushing and, you know, number 127 in passing. Colorado's in the 120s in pretty much everything. Anything statistically that jumped out to you as far as this game? I think the biggest thing again for me was Michael Penix being the nation's leader in passing coming into this game. Get to pad little stats. Anything that stood out to you that uh, will make you wonder about what's going on in this game? Uh, no, actually. <laughs> I yeah. think the
1: the stat, if I have to try to comment on one of them, is um, CU's relative weakness in special teams. SC, I think, was able to run back even short line drive punts, and I, I don't know. I, CU also seems to be getting into the penalty thing a little more, and that was had been a strength up to this point. Right. They're now committing more penalties. And penalties at crucial times. So the rest of the stats speak for themselves. I think the subtext here is I'm seeing some deterioration in the quality of play that CU is engaging. And um, I'm hoping that that was just an aberration. But the rest of the stats, as you guys point out, were grim in all three phases of the game.
2: Yeah, yeah kind of is what it is. So no reason to beat around the bush on who's going to win the game. Let's talk a little bit about your predictions. Again, 31 point spread. I think the over under is right about double that, about 62-63 points. So what that would make it like a 45 to 15 game, something mm-hmm. somewhere in that range. Brad, do you uh going to go out on a limb and predict a you know, Brad, you know last time Colorado won in Seattle? You want to, oh, vote make, you want to take a guess? There? We were there. <laughs> 1989, my friend. The week after Salonesi died. So you went oh. to Seattle and won forty five twenty eight 28 against the number 21 ranked Washington Huskies. And it was like 38-6 to in the third quarter, so... Wasn't even as close as 45 28. But yes, the last time the University of Colorado won a football game against the University of Washington in Seattle was nineteen eighty-nine. So we're talking epic upset here for the Buffs to to win in Husky Stadium. But this is your chance to be uh Nostradamus and you know tell the world this is gonna be a shocking upset.
0: It's not gonna be a shocking upset. Okay. I mean, what? There's just nothing we've seen that will make us believe otherwise, and that's unfortunate. But there's every reason to believe Washington's going to cross the 500-yard offense again, isn't there? And yeah. our if our offense gets 250 yards, we'll be shocked. This is a this is another name your score. They don't have quite as much, perhaps, to play for. They've got next week coming up, but again, our our offense isn't anything to be. All that excited about? I think probably something along the lines of forty-eight seventeen.
2: Okay, Neil, any thoughts? What would be your ultimate prediction on this one? Brad's kind of keeping it right on the the uh, the line of the spread, thirty-one points, straddling the fence there. What uh, what say you? Well, Washington has two losses. So they're out of the
1: national final four hunt. Their key now is to win the conference and get to the Rose Bowl. So with that hypothesis, as weak as it may be, uh, I suspect that Washington will get out to a very healthy league and then maybe the beginning of the fourth quarter will allow it substitute players to get some action. And that's when CU maybe is going to score some points. So I think Washington will score forty eight and I think is gonna get um thirteen.
2: So, okay. Almost identical on your predictions. And yeah, well CU has been outscored forty two to sixteen on the season and you know, it's been given up well, the last two games, average about fifty two points and scoring about thirteen. So Pretty much these two games, the last two games, Oregon and USC are just going to be kind of a prediction of what we're going to have, mm-hmm. you know, for Washington. And we'll probably talk about the same next week when we talk about Utah, um, which spotted Stanford a seven point lead and then scored the next 42 points. So we'll talk again next week. We'll talk about the review of Washington and the preview for Utah. And Brad and I will as they say in podcast school, you know, it's uh, stories not stats. So maybe we'll have some good stories from the brawl of the wild to uh to pass along to the uh the podcast world. So thank you gentlemen for your time, energy and interest and we will talk again next week.
1: Guys, have a have a great time. Enjoy yourselves on Saturday. That's a not a very often you get a chance to do something like that.
0: It will, be, it will be an experience, a cold one, but an experience nonetheless.
2: Quick question. What are you doing here? Seriously, thanks for listening. And based upon Sue's performance this fall, you know that I mean that sincerely. As a note for our first-time listeners, we are here weekly during the regular season with our preview review podcast being posted on Tuesdays, with my written tips and my prediction for the games being posted on Wednesday morning at the See You at the Game website. Please subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss any of the upcoming episodes. We have partnered with Mile High Sports and are proud to be part of the podcast network. As before, you can find the See You at the Game podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and other podcast sites. Now, if you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of our episodes can be listened to at the CU at the Game website. I will be back next week with Neil and Brad as we review the Washington game and preview CU's Senior Day game against Utah. So, until then, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs!
0: Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time when we will, again, see you at the game.